0: Morning again, we've uh, we've had a week of prayer and I don't know if there are any testimonies uh, to share or just something that came to you, um, I was chatting to Cindy Jacob just beforehand and and she was kind of telling me she had a burden of prayer on Friday like she's not had in a long long time, um, so I don't know if, if there's a couple just come and stand here then I can see uh, how many there comes. Uh, now as well. Anyone else? Okay, Hill, let's start with you.
1: It was such fun putting this whole thing together and it was an absolute privilege. But when I wrote one or two of the um, notes that went out and the best part for me was actually doing the exercises that God had given me to put together. And so when I was rewriting um, with Holy Spirit um, Ephesians 2 verse 10 which says, you are God's Workmanship, or God's piece of art, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. I wrote, I'm God's piece of art as a declaration. I wrote, God has prepared me to do good works. And then what blew my mind was God has prepared work for me to do, that only I can do. And what a privilege it is to know that not only has God got work for me to do, but he's got work that he's designed specially for me to do. God just blows my mind every time I come to him afresh. And making these f- fresh declarations was just so powerful. Thank you. Hi everyone. Um
2: going into the week of prayer I was feeling kind of a little empty and early on in the week I was praying please Lord fill me again fill me with the Holy Spirit again and progressively through the week it got uh, more and more feeling and and when I'm touched by the Holy Spirit I shake so if you see me shaking I'm not having an epileptic fit I'm filled with the Spirit (laughs) and um, yeah so on Thursday it was a very very powerful experience towards the end of the um, of the prayer session and I was filled absolutely incredibly with Holy Spirit again. And this deep or the sound comes from deep in my soul and a, and a high pitched thing, I can't even say it, I can't even make that sound when I'm I'm not touched by the Holy Spirit. And uh, just living in this in this prayer week and then this morning at the pre-service prayer, I was touched again um, awesomely, fell down and it's a gentle fall. And I've heard people say when they've been touched by the Spirit and they fall down, you just go down gracefully and gently that's what it felt like and I had this message to say go and do great works and go the emphasis was on the go and I saw I had a vision of Jesus standing in this beam of light smiling down at me and he's saying just live in the light and it was quiet for a little while and then he said trust God not trust in God trust God So I share this message with you today. I feel deeply touched by it. And it's fabulous to be in a safe space to share this. And uh, just trust God. Thank you.
0: Amen. Can you guys all hear me? Okay, so I don't need to move you any closer. I'm tempted to come closer to you. I mean, like, you know, like come on, guys. I'm not Angus Bucking. I don't shout that loudly. You know, you can uh, say I'll give you a chance next week. Um, and uh, you know, just a, a huge thank you to, I think Hillary counted, 27 people who we were involved in actually preparing uh, and leading us in our week of prayer. Um, and in addition to everyone who then joined us in the multiple different platforms, Um, So whether you came on uh, an early morning, whether you joined us online, whether you did something with your children. And so in a really wonderful way, we actually saw a much greater covering of prayer emerge out of this week. And obviously there's a listening to God in this. And uh, when you pray, you take notes. So Every time we were finishing, certainly we were taking notes. And if you've sensed God stirring something for you, Please uh, let us know. But thank you so much uh, to those who were there. So we carry on in the series on Nehemiah, rebuilding a city. And today I want to look at the reform that couldn't wait. The reform that couldn't wait. The city had been torn down by war, defeat, and then eroded by exile. And the return of the exiles had not yet resulted in a healthy, thriving community. They were surviving. They were hanging in. They were just, just getting by. Survival was the main objective. Except for a few connected and wealthy lo- uh, nobles, the, um, the, the general people suffered a great deal in their daily lives. And today we find out some more reasons why, and uh, we'll understand why out of Nehemiah's Call and desire in chapter in chapter two that he was called and appointed to take care of the welfare and the well-being of his people. So chapter five and verse one. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, "We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive." We must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and even our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. And although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs. I mean, that's always true. My kids are always at least as good as your children. Um, We have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. And when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. This is Nehemiah. I pondered them in my mind And then accused the nobles and the officials. I told them. You're charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting. To deal with them. And said. As far as possible we bought back. Our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. We bought them back. We redeemed them. Now you are selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us again. They kept quiet. They could find nothing to say. So I continued, says Nehemiah, what you're doing is just not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God and avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men, well, we're also lending to the people money and grain. But stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, houses, and also the interest that you've been charging them. The 1%, this is probably 1% per month. Of the money, the grain, the new wine, the oil. We'll give it back, they said. And we will not require or demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. So then I summoned the priests and the nobles and the officials to take an oath to do what they had promised. Now he gets into the legal stuff. He, he does what is legally binding in that culture. Up until now, he's been consulting. He moves to a different level. And then in a prophetic act, I also shook out the folds of my robe. And in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. And the whole assembly, the majority of whom probably had lost their fields and their daughters and a bunch of that, said amen and praised the lord the change of a few resulted in the joy of a many and the people did as they had promised so today we look at a reform that couldn't wait the last chapter of nehemiah chapter 13 includes several reforms that come from nehemiah each reform is described as a problem some kind of crisis Followed by how Nehemiah had to process it, work through it, call people together, introduce a solution. And then at the end, there's a formula or a prayer in which he offered himself and his work to God. And some scholars actually insist that chapter 5 has somehow been helicoptered out of, you know, chapter 13, where it belongs and dropped into its current place in the text by an editor. Um... They argue that this kind of episode couldn't have been allowed to disrupt this 52-day uh, project of rebuilding the wall. However, there's no manuscript evidence for this. And, and although the, the, the kind of writing, the structure of the writing does change, and, uh, and, and so from a literary point of view, you are dealing with something that, that is outside of the flow of the story of building walls, how many of us know that crises don't always wait until we're ready for them so what we have is a problem that wouldn't wait and therefore a reform a change that couldn't wait so number one let's look at the crisis we saw it in the reading so i'm going to be super quick because i really want us to spend some time in uh, in communion together but in the middle of this rebuild, certainly in the middle of the story of the rebuild, surrounded by hostile marching armies. Wasn't Bernadette magnificent last week? And just just hearing what these people were facing, surrounded by what they were facing, and their strength is giving out, working one-handed because they've got to carry a sword all the time. And in a severe food shortage, famine is not always climatological, by the way. It is often triggered by human factors erupts a new fresh, a different crisis for the people and verses one to five describe poverty hunger we need food to stay alive we can't we can't work on bricks we can't eat walls debt dispossession our homes and fields are being snapped up because we are sliding into debt and we're literally selling the things we have even to the point of enslavement we are selling our own children Now, that may sound really freaky. How on earth dare they do that? They did not want to do that. That was what the culture of the day permitted their creditors to do to them. And it seems the girls are especially vulnerable. The wives are mentioned in the beginning. They cry out in verse 1. And then the girls get mentioned twice. Our sons and our daughters, even our daughters already. And you need to understand, uh, one or two of the commentators point this out, the girl slaves had literally no protection in any way. They belonged body and effort and hour and everything to their new masters. And if they ended up sold, it was because their parents were trapped in a spiral of poverty And sadly, some of these similar conditions still exist all too frequently in our world, in our country, and in our city. The slide from poverty into sexual exploitation, where sex work is not sexy work. It's desperate survival. Back in those days, even if a parent could afford, at some point, by some breakthrough to buy back their girly. They'd be regarded as damaged goods. The layers of distress go deeper because the poor are at the heart of a systemic poverty cycle that's being perpetuated by their own countrymen. I mean, it was bad enough to lose the war. It's bad enough to be dispossessed by the outsiders. But now the people, their own countrymen who should be looking after them, are just not doing anything. In fact, they're actively part of the problem. And Nehemiah finds that some of the wealthier folk are actively in the system of enriching themselves. You know, there's this charity response to buy back the slaves. And whether they did that when they were in Babylon and they realized we're going back, let's, let's buy as many slaves as we can. And those who had means. And so there was, there was money towards redemption. There was means being given out of this community into redemption. And some people are saying, well, there's a market for this. <laughs> so people are willing to pay so Nehemiah and his brothers are paying for the people that their own noble friends are selling from underneath them again. A social and financial rescue package is being put together by the Jews and it's being di- diverted by some of the very people who should be putting it together for self enrichment. Sound like PPE tenders. Resources assigned at great cost for the good of the vulnerable, being exploited by the few. It's very relevant stuff, this, isn't it? Do you understand why this couldn't wait? Do you understand Nehemiah's understated, and I was very angry. It's okay to look at these things and to be grieved. during the week of prayer one of the days we simply asked ourselves what is it that disturbs us what is it that burdens us what is it that grieves us what is it that makes your blood boil sometimes it's important to face those things many of us are deeply concerned about the same issues of poverty hunger dispossession in one word inequality It defines almost every aspect of a city that needs rebuilding. Whatever the building that is needed within our homes, our church, our ministry, this has to be, in addition to that, an area we cannot neglect. Remember chapter 2, Nehemiah left the king's presence with a commission to address the things with the king's authority that broke his heart. And his commission had become the welfare and the well-being of his own people. But he has to face up not just to enemy armies, but to his fellow nobles. And so we see now, number two, the confrontation. We'll see a little bit later in the chapter, Nehemiah was actually a very wealthy man. He was a very wealthy man. Um, So clearly being cupbearer to the king had its bonuses. The food he paid for daily would bankrupt most of us for a month. That comes at the end of the chapter. And he pays that out of his own pocket. Any case. So what is disturbing is that this news of distress now starts taking on a much more sinister tone. Because, you know, you're kind of thinking the problem's out there. And he realizes the problem's right here. It's in the behavior of my own social class. Now, you'd expect, well, I'd expect, given everything else in this book, that uh, his first response would be a week of prayer. You know, like whether it's an arrow prayer and he's got his bow in place or like, you know, he sees this. And and maybe there was, but he describes his anger and then he says, I just took some time to think. Uh, Literally, I pondered it in my mind or even more literally, I took counsel with myself. I took counsel with myself. Sure, he knows it's wrong. He doesn't need another word from God or another prayer of confession. He knows the actions, the lies, the error used to justify this, the hard hearts, the structural poverty, the whole shebang is just out. And so I think, why did he need to stop and think? He didn't need to think about whether it was wrong. He knew it. He cried out. I suspect that he was asking, for, he was considering this and thinking to himself, my solution, which could be very reactionary and split apart a city that is just being rebuilt, must be direct and brave, but it mustn't add to the problems, it must solve them. See, sometimes the way we want to bring change, we, we actually add to the problem in our anger and in our grief and in our indignation. And so after confronting, you read the text, he goes to these guys who are doing this and he confronts them and he warns them in person. I mean, such a gracious and wise thing to do giving them an answer, giving them a chance, and maybe the allegations were misunderstood or exaggerated. Or unt- He goes to them first, and then he calls this large open meeting to deal with him. So he, th- he thought about it carefully, then he spoke to them in person, and then he challenges them in public. And his approach actually disarms them, as upset as he was. In the end, they could find nothing to say. And gladly it was not yet a trial. You'll see the legal aspects kick in at the end. But he's, he's engaging issues of public concern, not using a legal lever to fight his battle. He's actually using moral force. Later he will draw on the law, on the priests and the vows and the pledges and the, and the prophetic act. But he does that after he's won these guys, to the right course of action. So the immediate solution is, guys, make restitution. Point number three. So there was the crisis, (laughs) the confrontation, and the immediate solution is give back their fields, make restitution, give back their livestock, their vineyards, their fundamental means of earning a living and putting food on the table and, you know, getting oil, and and, and flower and whatever give back their houses give back their homes repentance is more than just feeling sorry and uh, i'm not going to preach the equip series but if you do need that you can go back and see there's multiple steps but the genuine fruit of repentance as john the baptist says in in luke 3 verse 8 produce fruit in keeping with repentance and the ultimate fruit is the willingness to put wrongs right The fruit of repentance is not just regret. It's restitution. And so Nehemiah challenges them with moral force. He too is wealthy. He too has been giving loans. But this exploitation, I mean, some of the people will be very grateful for a loan if it does not send them further into the cycle of poverty. The exploitation has got to stop. And it's a powerful theme in Scripture from Moses through the prophets. Now in this post-exilic era, all the way into the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who owe us. As we forgive our debtors. This is gospel work. And it requires the changing of hearts. And we will give it back, they said in verse 12. We will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Work Words to make anyone rejoice. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I mean, it's, you know, if only sometimes that was all that was needed. But sometimes we assume it won't work. And so we try every other strategy instead of just engaging with people and the issue and trying to find something. You're really upset. Notice he does is He does confront. He confronts personally and in public, but he never shames. He doesn't use cancel culture. He uses an invitation to be part of the redemption of the city. And then, and I'm going to just read, uh, read the rest of the chapter What follows from this short-term solution is long-term structural change. So let's pick up in verse 14. We learn a few things more about um, uh, Nehemiah himself, but especially about his leadership style and the team that he builds. From the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels, that's nearly half a kilogram of silver, every month from these poor people, in addition to the food and the wine. And their assistants, their sidekicks, lorded it over the people. Sounds like Jesus got some of his wording for some of his teaching from this passage. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Remember, God has put his image on every single person. And when you revere the image of God in a person, you revere God himself. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on the wall. He's still firmly in the wall. (laughs) All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire the land. So he wrote this more than 12 years later, but he's remembering where where he was. Furthermore, 150 Jews, And officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from surrounding nations. So who knows how many? 200? I don't know. Each day, one ark, six choice sheep, some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of oil and wine of every kind. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God. all i've done for these people and nehemiah creates a new leadership ethic and culture that is firmly mosaic together with a sustained departure from the previous practice that was around his administration with his officials refused to let power go to their heads and resources into their pockets you know, the current commission into state capture sadly revealing a leadership culture that is very different to what we've just read about in this text. And if we to address poverty, dispossession, exploitation, and inequality, not only do we need restitution, but we need a corresponding ethical vision. And see the long-term structural change that he brings about over 12 years They walk out, they live out this new leadership culture. Very simply, he demands less than he is permitted. He doesn't take the 40 shekels. He doesn't take the food, the wine. In fact, he gives more, secondly, than is required. He was not required to pay for the people at his table. That's why I said he was a pretty wealthy guy. I mean, he he could afford an ox a day. I couldn't, I don't know how many of you could afford that. And he uses his resources. He uses his resources. He demands less than is permitted. And he gives more than is required. And he embraces contentment with what he has. He says this in a little line. He says, neither me nor my officials acquired any land. You know, when you're in a distressed economy, it's very easy to get really rich. You just buy from under the vulnerable. Explore. you've heard me say this. The gospel must change the way we bring change. And I can assure you that the word of God and the gospel of Jesus itself carries so many tools to heal our land. I'm convinced of it. This change is not necessarily a change of personnel. Notice there was no coup. They didn't throw out the nobles in this particular instance, mercifully. But the nobles embraced a new system of living for others instead of themselves. See, Nehemiah's heart points us to a much greater heart. And those who are leading us in communion, if you can bring the the table forward. Thank you. Anyone remember the memory verse for the week of prayer? Okay, one person. Stand up and you've got to say it really loud. I'm going to pick on Lindsay or somebody. <laughs> I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. That's what some of these nobles experienced. A heart has been for greed and for self and whatever. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone, not just towards God, but towards the world around you. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and will move you to follow my decrees. Be careful to keep my laws, verse 27. You see, what Nehemiah was experiencing is something that reached its culmination at Calvary, at the cross of Jesus Christ. Where the one who could have required everything required nothing, the one who could have taken all gave all. And in 2 Corinthians chapter eight and verse nine, we read this: "For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, this governor, this king, was wealthy beyond measure. Being in very nature equal with God. Yet for your sake he became poor. So that through his poverty you might be rich. He takes our sin and he atones for it. He takes our debt and he settles it and pays it. And he redeems our inheritance and gives it back to us. You see, when this is in your heart, you begin to understand that what Nehemiah was experiencing is something that prophetically would be fully done in Jesus. And listen, I'm not spiritualizing the text. I'm showing you that the gospel makes a difference in everyday life. This gospel of Jesus dying on the cross is the gospel that changes the economy and and the plight of the poor. It is the gospel that takes us who are in a class, that have resources, and makes us content and generous. And takes grasping out of our hearts and puts faith in God in its place. This is the gospel that connects how we live and how we use our money and how we lead and how we bring change to this table and to the very cross of Jesus Christ. And so, I'm going to take a moment. Andrea, you got something? And then Andrea's going to lead us in a song. So, we're going to just pause for a moment. Just invite the Holy Spirit to come and show you afresh the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was so rich. He was so rich. He was. Mind-blowingly glorious. He didn't need no gold. Everything is his. And yet for your sake he became poor. He redeemed us from our slavery. And so that through his poverty, his choice to identify with us, we might receive a staggering inheritance and riches beyond compare. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your heart of concern that every single person is loved by you, known by you, made in your image, honored by you. Lord, we ask for a spirit of grace to come and rest upon us and flow through us to a world that needs you. And as we come to your table, be glorified, we pray. Thank you for this bread that shows us your body was broken so that we could be made whole, that your blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sin, and by your wounds we have been healed. And we eat and drink together with gratitude now in Jesus' name. Amen.